0: coaches on a great uh great victory uh this past week and I, I know that yeah they did a great job that was a that was a great game good job y'all showed up day one that's amazing um and uh we are we're in a series looking at the parables uh we're in luke's gospel uh over the next several weeks um also i wanted to say this kind of the front end you know, I know that I share a lot of information with you week in and week out. Perhaps it can maybe even feel like a little bit of a history lesson. And the goal is not just to put information into our heads, but that as we, exper- we we understand what this information is, that this is God's word, this is his truth. And that as we interact with that information, that the result of it with the power of the Holy Spirit coming in behind the preaching of God's word is transformation, is change in your life and mine is encouragement that comes from on high and so that's what we're here for week in and week out we're here yeah we want to hear God's truth but the result of that truth uh, is encouragement into our lives is life breathed into our lives is freedom that is found and so what I hope is that that's what you'll experience in some measure this morning are you excited about that All right. Um, Our text comes from Luke chapter 12. We're going to be reading the parable of the rich fool. This is, we're just reading the, actually we're not going to read the whole parable. We're just going to read the couple of verses that lead up to Jesus then sharing this parable. So it's the occasion that we're going to read that then results in Jesus sharing this parable. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 15. Here we go. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You may be seated. Thank you so much. All right, so I want to build a little bit of perspective for the setting as to why, or, you know, kind of add some more oomph, if you would, a little insight to why Jesus shares this particular parable. Um, if you go back to the beginning of chapter 12 in verse 1, we learn there are some facts about what's happening on the ground. It says in verse 1, in the meantime, so when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another. This is not 30 people. This is not 100 people. This is thousands upon thousands of people. The word in the Greek that occurs there that's translated so many thousands, Thousands is the word murias. is where we get the English word myriad from. And in some places in the Bible, in the New Testament, that word murias is translated uh, multitudes. Other places it's translated hosts. In this particular occasion, it's translated as so many thousands. There were so many eyewitnesses to all of these people. There were so many... uh, I'm sorry. Let me back back up from that. There were so many people that the eyewitnesses of this of this uh, episode could not count the numbers of the crowd. Um, scholars have estimated somewhere in the neighborhood of ten thousand plus people. So that's what Jesus is staring at as he engages um, on the on this issue. Skip down to verse thirteen. It says, "Someone in the crowd." Again a multitude. This is not a hundred people in front of Jesus. This is thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that the Lord Jesus is um, addressing or is looking to. People that have gathered in an inorderly fashion. It said back in verse one that they were trampling over one another. I mean, people have been pushing one another all day, getting bumped into all day, and they were standing in this makeshift lines all day, all of them focused on getting to this one guy who was there to try and meet the needs of this multitude. Now, in the crowd, there's a certain man who had been standing in line all day, getting pushed himself, getting bumped himself, pushing back. And now he's finally got his chance to make his request. He's finally got an audience with the person that he came there to see. Um, And so he says to him, uh, skip down to verse 13, he says, Teacher, tell my brother. Now, apparently his brother was standing there with him. His brother had been standing there in line with him. He didn't say, give me a note that I can take my brother back home. He said, tell my brother who's standing right here with me, who's been standing in line with me all day um, just the same. He says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. According to the laws of Moses, when dad died, the land, the check and account, the farm animals, the farm implements, all the assets from the estate were to be divided equally among the male children of the deceased. This is according to the laws of Moses. The eldest brother, the firstborn, would receive a double portion of those proceeds and in most cases the eldest son not only received a double portion but also became the executor of the estate. Now that's not the case always and it's not crystal clear in this situation that that the other brother is the eldest brother but what is crystal clear is that this other brother is the executor of the estate because the guy who's making the appeal says to Jesus tell my brother to share the inheritance with me because this fellow who's making this request apparently has no say so is looking at this thing from the outside in has no uh, grounds to make this decision he's counting on his other brother to do that on his behalf and so he's come to Jesus hoping to get a ruling, not just one that is in his favor, but one that has some teeth in it. Hey, you remember that guy that we went and saw? You remember that guy that stood in front of tens of thousands of people, everybody wanting to hear what he had to say? He was this great teacher, and the teacher said to do this. And so he's hoping that the teacher, the rabbi, is going to give him a ruling that's in his favor, that he can leverage against his brother to get his brother to do what he wants him to do. Now, on the surface, this seems like a perfectly legitimate request. right? We might think that the executor brother is stalling. We might think based on the scenario that we've learned so far that this executive brother uh, is trying to you know, scoot out of the situation with more than perhaps what he should get. However, as we continue to read this encounter, we discover the motivations, the self-interest, the greedy motivations of the man who makes this request. Skip down to verse 14. But Jesus said to the man... Man, who made me? We love crying babies. But Jesus said to the man, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? In other words, Jesus refuses to enter into this situation. He asks for no follow-up questions. He doesn't say, hey, could you clarify a little bit more for me? What's going on here? He doesn't turn to the other brother that's apparently the executor of the state and say, could you give me your side of the story? Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with this, and it's because Jesus, directed by the Holy Spirit of God, can see into the heart of this man. He understands the motivations that are going on inside of this guy's heart as to why he's even there this day, why he's asking these questions of the Lord Jesus. And so what is it? So what does Jesus offer? Well, he offers a word of rebuke instead, as well as a call to change. Jesus wants this fellow making the request to reevaluate his priorities, to see the greed that's lurking inside of his own heart, um, and that is controlling his emotions. Verse 15, Jesus said to them, that is to the two brothers, Perhaps likely as well to the crowd or to those that could hear Jesus at this point at this moment He says take care and be on your guard That is be constantly vigilant Against all covetousness Because in the big picture of things one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions Now the parable that follows merely demonstrates or reinforces Jesus's point Let's take a look at it and then we're going to we're going to move through this fairly quickly Look at verse 16 And Jesus told them a parable, the two brothers, perhaps the crowds as well, he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, verse 17. And he thought to himself, what should I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops, verse 18. For he thought to himself, here's what I'll do, I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. Um, This is Back when I was a kid, I used to work in the summertime uh, baling hay for one of our local farmers. And we'd go up in the barns. And these were massive barns. And back then, they didn't have the big round bales. They had just had the square bales. So everything had to be handled by hand in order to stack this stuff up. And he had about 180 head of cow. And so he needed to put up enough hay to get him through the wintertime. And so it, the barns were massive. And so you can imagine, though, here's this guy who's wealthy saying, I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger ones that tells us something of the kind of a crop yield that he had. I mean, if he had too much and he couldn't put it away, well, maybe we just let that stuff spoil or maybe we just give it away. But this fellow had so much that it was worth him tearing down his barns and building new ones because of how much uh, grain or how much hay or whatever it was he had coming in. In Jesus' make-believe story, this is intended to teach a lesson. And in this story, there's this farmer, again, who's done really well for himself. And so he's, um, he's made this decision, hey, look, I'm just going to build myself some bigger silos. I'm going to build myself some bigger barns. Good for him. Verse 19. Nothing, nothing nefarious at this point, right? I mean, this is just industriousness. This is just the guy looking after uh, the blessings that, he's been, that have come into his life. Uh, verse 19. And now, um, I, now that I got all these ample stores, now I got everything tucked away. I will say to my soul, "Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years." And then he says these words: "Relax, eat, drink, and be merry." That was a very uh, well-known hedonistic motto from the first century. I'd say it probably even carries on into today. Right? Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And so it's the idea of look, let me just—I've got all this. I don't need to work basically for the next little while. And because of that, I'm just going to enjoy life. I'm going to enjoy the fruits of my labor. I'm going to just kind of back off, but, but not just relax for a little while. He's also going to indulge himself. Um, he's going to indulge himself in sinful activity, sin-soaked earthly pleasure-seeking, um, those sorts of things. And so that's what this rich man is intending to do. He's got plenty of storage for the future. Now it's time for him to party. Verse 20. But God said to him, Notice that in Jesus' story, he brings God into the, uh, God, the God of the Bible into view. He wants to tweak this rich man's perspective. And ultimately, he wants to break through the greed of the guy's heart that he's talking to, that he's sharing this story with. He says, God said to him in this story, you fool. Um, you almost think that when Jesus said those words, you fool, that Jesus looked directly in the eyes of this guy at that point in the story. He says, you fool, this night... Your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Friends, this is the ultimate, you cannot take it with you story, right? So verse 21 concludes the episode. So this is, uh, so, so is the one who lays up treasures for himself, referring to this rich fool, and is not rich toward God. All right, well, that is our treatment of this parable for today. It means it's time for us to stop here and ask the question that we ask every week around here. Bring it around to your life and to mine. What difference does all this make to my life? Great question. Let's see if we can answer that. With this parable, Jesus gives the crowd and he gives these two brothers, the second one of which appears to be compromised in his heart. Um, He gives them some perspective. He offers them a way to look at life through the lens of how God sees life. We might call that a biblical worldview. You've heard the statement before: "The truth will set you free." Uh, well, friend, Jesus, with the gift of perspective, is trying to set us free. So let's take a look. The first perspective that Jesus offers, and there's three of them here, comes in the middle of verse 15. He says, "Verse 15: For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his perse- per- I'm sorry, of his possessions." That's perspective number one. Jesus is saying that our life and our identity, our self worth. Our value in this world cannot be found in the things which we have or in the size of our checking account. Rather, our value, our worth in this world is found in our identity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We have to be careful, though, because we live in a world that has a very different concept of value. The world that we live in wants to say that, you know what, you are defined by. uh, The car you drive, the neighborhood you live in, the clothes that you wear, all those sort of exterior things, rather than the substance of the person, rather than the substance of the heart. That's what God measures. That's what God looks at. Um, And so we have to be careful and understand that we live in this world, but we don't want to adopt those world values. We want to maintain a biblical perspective of life. So we have to be careful about that. I hope, friends, that you find perspective number one free. Perhaps you find yourself trying to keep up with the Joneses. Jesus says, stop. Stop doing that. Your life and your value, he says, does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Are you beginning to see why Luke would record this story amongst others? thousands of stories that he could have recorded here in the holy words of scripture. Perspective number two, life is temporary, eternity is forever. Life is temporary, eternity is forever. Take a look at verse 20, the rich man who, by the way, is not foolish because he's rich. He's foolish because he did not use his wealth, he did not use his Resources for the glory of God he turned his resources completely entirely toward himself and we can all do the same verse 20 says God said to the rich man fool this night your soul is required of you in other words remember folks there is life beyond the grave Jesus is trying to drive that point home to this fellow standing in front of him that's compromised by the greed in his heart and he's certainly trying to communicate this to you and I Jesus is imploring us to turn our resources, to turn our energies toward eternal things and eternal outcomes. Again, uh, the statement, this actually came from William Barclay in his commentary, who said that this was the ultimate, you can't take it with you parable. Um, I've got a picture for you here. I don't know whose tomb this is, but this is one of the Pharaoh's. Um, So in Egypt today, uh, this is one of the Pharaoh's tombs and one of those pyramids that you see on landscapes as you're seeing somebody in the news over in that part of the world. You'll notice that the tomb is empty. (laughs) It wasn't when the Pharaoh was buried. Uh, When the Pharaohs were buried, they would be buried with tremendous amount of wealth and with servants and all these sorts of things that they anticipated. I will then, as I'm buried in this tomb, I'll then be able to take that stuff into the afterlife with me. However, what ended up happening was all their stuff ended up in the museums around the world and in private collections. It was the Lord Jesus who said, Do not put your treasure in this earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy and where thieves will not break in and steal. Again, Jesus trying to give us some perspective. If I'm living for the here and now with no view toward a future afterlife, then I'm in company with this rich man and God might as well call me, you fool. Perspective number three. Number one is our value, our worth does not consist in stuff. Number two, life is temporary. Eternity is forever. Make sure you're directing your time, your resources, your energies toward eternal things. And perspective number three is beware of the danger of greed. Beware of the danger of greed. Take a look at verse 15, the first part of verse 15. The first thing Jesus says in response and word of teaching to these two brothers, to the crowds. He says these words. He says, verse 15, take care. Be on your guard. These are words, these are in the Greek, these are imperative. Jesus is giving a command here. It's a present comparative. He's saying, You need to do this now and perpetually. Be on your guard. Take care against all covetousness. You know, you think back to that younger brother who's standing there uh, asking Jesus this question. Here's how he would define fairness. Um, I want to say that there was some cartoon character back in the day that used to do this, but he would say. Two for you, or two for me, one for you. Right? That, that's how this younger brother wants to define fairness. You know, two for me, and then one for you. And just kind of keep counting that out. Two for me, one for you. Two for me, one for you. And he's, you know, his, his stack's growing and growing and growing, and his brother's is growing, but not near at the same Clip, that's how this fellow wants to define fairness. Even though the laws of Moses, which have existed for 1,400 years up to the time of which this guy's standing there in front of the Lord Jesus, these, four, these laws of Moses which had governed the Jewish people as a nation, the laws which this guy's father had submitted to, the laws which this guy's grandfather had submitted to, the laws which this guy's great-grandfather had submitted to, and it was good enough for all of them, but suddenly when it's assessed to him, how oh, we got to change the rules. Why? Because his heart is gripped by greed. Um, Greed had gripped his heart. Think about it. This fellow had... This is crazy. I'm sitting down in my office this week trying to think about this scenario. He's drugged his executor brother, perhaps the oldest brother. He's drugged his brother out there, probably miles from their house. They've stood in this makeshift line among thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, waited all day long while, you know, smoke's billowing out of his nostrils, and he's just waiting to get to that rabbi, and the rabbi's going to set his brother straight, and he's going to side with me, and he's going to understand, that, you know, the need that I have in my life. And they've stood out there all day long, and it never dawned on this guy, look around, at some of the other people that have come to Jesus that can't walk or that are lame from the waist down or that have got infirmities of all different kinds. And there were thousands of people like that. And he just stood there in line all day long, intent, driven by his greed, driven by that emotion, oblivious to the needs of the people around him. It never dawned on him. He never flinched, not even once, to look at those people who were, um, who were struggling. He was dead set and determined to get what, more than what the law had permitted. This man was so blinded by greed that he could not see the obvious needs of others around him. Greed had taught him to look no further than the guy in the mirror. He must have been a real peach to be around, I'm sure. Um, friends, this is what greed does. It can consume the human heart. It can rob us of rational thinking. It can ruin long-standing family relationships and long-standing friendships. Greed will drive the wheels of self-justification. It is a powerful force in human life. It's so dangerous that Jesus would warn Luke 12 and verse 15, take care, imperative. Be on your guard. Not an option against all manner of covetousness. Again, are you beginning to understand out of the thousands of stories that Luke could have reported, why he reported this one? So that's the perspective that Jesus wants us to have. I've got one final thought. And it comes comes in response to the question, if greed is so dangerous, how can I avoid being gripped by greed. How can I avoid being gripped by greed? I get that I need to be vigilant. I, I I hear Jesus say that. I hear that perspective. I'm I'm with him. I get that I have an eternal that I need to have an eternal perspective. That I need to align my resources and my energies toward things that are bigger than just the, this life and the sum of my life here. I get that I need to put my self worth and my value. Um, In Jesus Christ, in my relationship with him, not in the things of this world that it wants to present me with. I get my identity doesn't need to be there, but Gordon, can you put some handles on this this morning? What does this look like lived out? How can I avoid being gripped by greed? One final thought. Here it is. You ready? Pull out your checkbook and give. You say, Gordon? Gordon? You almost had me. I mean, <laughs> you are slick. Uh, I mean, I, I, wow, that's amazing how you went through all of that and then got to there. And then, ah, self-interested preacher. Just another one, right? Uh, um, listen, I don't care where you give it. I don't. We have a lot of missionaries that our church supports. They're perhaps missionaries that another church that you know of supports. Bless one of them. Bless one of them. My goal week in and week out is not just to present you with information, but for you to experience the freedom that comes from a biblical worldview, from living out the values that God says, hey, look, I want you to see life through the lens of Scripture. And so I want for you to experience that. Uh, Acts is a wonderful ministry that our church partners with. Um, Here, helping people that are less fortunate in our community, bless them with a gift. All kinds of options for you. Secondly, friends, this is spiritual warfare. That voice that just said to you, you are a slick preacher. (laughs) And that wants to dismiss what I just said about giving as a solution to breaking free of the grip of greed. That voice that wants to self-justify and draw you back into old habits and old behaviors. Friends, that is nothing more than greed recognizing that it is losing its grip on you. That is nothing more than spiritual warfare in your heart, in your soul, and your mind, trying to give you an off-ramp from being released from the grip of greed. Friends, if you want to break the power of greed over your life, Show greed that it no longer has a grip by giving. I want to close out this morning a little differently. I'm going to offer a prayer, and I'd like for you, I know this may be a little different for us, but to repeat the prayer after me. um, So I'm going to say a line. Y'all will repeat it out loud together. Um, And if there's even an inkling in our hearts this morning, Of greed having a grip on us. We want to say to that Holy Spirit of God, release me. Let me be free of it. Let me live fully unto you today. Let's bow our heads together and you pray after me. Most gracious Heavenly Father, like the younger brother, there is no hiding from you. You see me even better than I see myself. Lord, if there is even an inkling of greed in my heart or covetous in my heart, Lord, I want to be free. Of that today. Holy Spirit, I declare I am fully yours. Take my life, take my resources, take my energies, and pour them out for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.